Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today, we are going to continue our study of the book of Joshua, of Yehoshua. <clears throat> and we are going to read chapter 3 um, together, which is um, the famous chapter of the drying up of the Jordan River, the passage of the Jordan River into the land. The... Um, the episode of the people passing into the Jordan River has, uh, of course, conjures up images of the similar but also very different um, event of the splitting of the Red Sea as the Jews were leaving Egypt. Um, just uh, on, this, on the surface, the, the similarities are obvious. The, uh, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, needed to pass through the... Um, a body of water which was an obstacle on their journey and God performed a miracle which um, which enabled them to um, to pass through the, the water in, on dry land uh, that that's just about where the similarity ends um, uh, that's an important similarity but sometimes when things look very much the same on the surface the most meaning is to be found by looking into the differences of how they are presented, how they occurred, and what messages we can glean from those differences. So, some of them we will mention as we read through the verses, but um, others I want to point out that are just obvious from the nature of the story, the nature of where the people stood in their history, and some lessons that will also help us understand the significance of the process that is unfolding in the book of Joshua itself and in all of the subsequent books that we are going to be reading um, and studying together, many of which we have studied together already as we continue our um, path through the prophets. So let me just uh, mention a few things. First of all, when the people left Egypt, you have to think about this, right? When the people left Egypt, they the the Egyptians were chasing them. The people were sandwiched between the mighty Egyptian army and the sea. They were desperate. They were uh, they they were um, just coming out of slavery and still with that slave mentality, complaining to Moshe to Moses, uh, "Let's just go back to Egypt." You know, the the very different mindset. And also, the people were escaping slavery and basically on their way to wander into a wilderness. They had no idea where their destination was going to be, what was going to happen. They were just, uh, you know, blindly following Moses and Moshe and God, and um, and there was nowhere to go. And then God performed this miracle when they were backed up against the the, the water, and even in the water they were, you know, surrounded by the sea, scared at every moment. A very different um, uh, type of circumstance. Um, here, the people have just been triumphant in battle against the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. They had just conquered a tremendous amount of territory. They, they, the, the, people, the land in, people in the land in front of them, across the river, are afraid of them and are awaiting attack, scared and frightened and demoralized. Um, uh, the people have now, they have a destination, they have, they have a, a mission, they know wh where to go. And it's not so clear even that this um, miracle is necessary. Clearly it was possible to cross the river with proper planning 
without a miracle, even though, as we'll see soon, the miracle was full, the, the river was full and, and rushing at the season of the year, but, but still, we see the spies got across, and, you know, yes, in small numbers, it would have taken time, but an army can cross the Jordan River, there's ways to do it, um, they can cross even the, even the Red Sea, but it, it, the, the circumstances at the time backed up between the Egyptian army and the sea, there was no choice, and a miracle had to happen here, it was, it was, um, there was no desperate situation, and the people are confident, ready to move and march forward. So those are just differences, and think about those circumstances. But I want to mention one other thing before we read the chapter, and that is that um, that the the people, as they're entering under the leadership of Joshua, are exp- they the, and as we saw, especially in chapter one, they they want to feel reassured that God is still with them under Moshe in the wilderness and during the exodus God was explicitly and openly with them and the um, impetus for this was of God himself God himself made the miracles happen there was a lot less intervention from the human beings below and we and just as I was just explaining the situation was dire God made a miracle split the sea the Jews walked through the sea we're gonna find is there's a gradual uh, process here that is beginning that even though in Joshua we're going to see in this chapter and in subsequent chapters miracles that God overtly performs for the Jews as they conquer the land of Canaan and make it their own home, the miracles require a lot more on the part of the people. There's a lot more involvement of, of the human beings and it, you get the sense that God is beginning to retreat from his open presence in this world his open appearance. God is kind of leading up to what seems like the the march that continues throughout the entire Torah, throughout the entire uh, books of the prophets. There's this uh, gradual and sometimes not so gradual retreat of God behind the veil of heaven, so to speak. And um, so in the book of Joshua, we'll find these miracles, but we'll find that God wants more from us. God wants more from human beings. And eventually we get to what we find and what we just read together in the book of Nehemiah and Nehemiah all the way at the end of this process uh, that is recorded in Tanakh, but of course the process of history continued afterwards, where we find no more miracles, no more prophecy, and God has fully retreated behind that veil. And you get the sense that the lesson that God wants to teach us throughout this entire book through everything we learn in the Torah and in the prophets and in the writings in Tanakh that the message of the Bible is, is that that was the point all along. God had to reveal himself in the beginning to make himself known. But that wasn't the way he wanted the world to work, so to speak. He wanted to be behind that veil. He wanted to leave it in human hands. That, but the other lesson that we're going to learn is that despite the fact that we don't see him behind that veil, despite the fact that we go through our lives and don't see the kind of justice that we look for, we don't see God smite the evil out of, the, uh, you know, out of this world as soon as they perform evil and, and reward good people. As soon as, we don't see that, but it's still there. It's just not something that we see. That process, that march is beginning with Joshua. Ironically, it's beginning with, with miracles, but we see in those miracles, they're a little different than they used to be. And I want you to pay attention to this because this is going to be repeated throughout the, the book of Joshua, and we're going to come back to this as we march through the subsequent books. 
Now that I put that out there, let's start with uh, chapter 3, verse 1. By Yashkem Yoshua Baboker, Joshua woke up in the morning by Yisume Hashitim, and he um, traveled from the place where he was, Shitim. Um, the people traveled along under the leadership of Joshua by Arayardin, and they camped along the banks of the Jordan River, who he, Bechobani Israel, and all the people of Israel, by Elinusham, and they rested there overnight, Terem Yavoru, before they actually crossed the Jordan. It was so they did this for three days, camping um, out on the banks of the Jordan, preparing for their passage. After three days, the leaders, the officers, went throughout the camp and proclaimed the following message. They commanded the people as follows: When you see the ark of the with the ark which represents and contains within it the 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 um, a Torah, right, and the and the and the and the tablets, which is the, the sign of the covenant between of uh, between you and you, the Lord your God. We and the 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 priests who are of the tribe of Levi are carrying the ark. When you see that, you need to get up from your place. and follow after the ark. So we're being led by the ark. So the people are seeing that it is God that is leading them. But important, keep that in mind because that's going to change in a moment, representing what I was trying to explain before. Ach, however, when you follow after the ark, make sure there's a distance between you and the ark. Approximately 2,000 cubits. Um, now, um, a cubit being approximately a foot and a half, so so two thousand cubits would be about three thousand feet. So that's a significant distance. The, of course, as soon as we mention two thousand cubits, those familiar with Talmudic law are familiar that that is the the um, area considered uh, what one is considered the place where a person is in, in uh, regarding the laws of Shabbat. That uh, on the Sabbath, that you're only allowed to stay within the place where you reside over Shabbat, you're not supposed to travel distances, that that 2,000 amot, and of course the commentaries mention that that might have been part of the reason for this, because the ark being that distance allows the people, should they stop and it be Shabbat, that they're able to still go to the ark to learn, to study, and, and from it. Now, um, the point is though, do not be too close to the ark, in other words, there has to be a distance between you and this which represents the, the, um, the, uh, the uh, relationship between you and God. And Leman, uh, why is it that there should be a distance? Leman asher In order that you should know the road upon which to go. Now, some explain that in order, this Leman, this is going back on the previous verse. Some of the commentaries like Rashi and Mitsudo say this, that... Um, that it doesn't mean that you need to have a 2,000 amma distance. It means you follow the ark in order that you should know the way. The Radak also adds that it's important there be a distance because when you're following directly after it, it can get confusing and jumbled. But if you're able to see the way the ark goes from a distance, then you say, oh, that's the path that it took. And then the people take that path. Because this is a path which you are not familiar with. Um, while I almost always emphasize the simple meaning of the verse, which is the way I just read it, I would like to uh, go out of the realm of 
pshat, the realm of simple meaning for just a moment, because I think this verse is also hinting and representing something else, and that is that this is a new road that you're about to take. This distance represents the distance that there will be between God and the people. You need to be able to look from a distance and see God is there, God is here, God is leading the way, that is the path, that is where we should go. However, there's a distance. We're not going to see it so clearly. It's not going to be so easy to see. And that is the new road that you did not go meet Moshe yesterday. Yesterday, you saw God in the pillar of cloud. Yesterday, you saw God in the manna that fell every day. Yesterday, you saw God at Sinai. You saw God at the, at the, at the crossing of the Red Sea. But now, soon, there's going to be a distance and you need to get used to this new way. And Joshua said to the nation, make yourselves holy. Presumably this means to, um, to uh, immerse. Because tomorrow God is going to do wonders among you. It's still important though, Joshua, Joshua picks up right away that people are now afraid. You're making a distance between us and God. How do we live this way? Can we handle it? God says, don't worry, Joshua. God is still with you. He's still going to do wonders. In other words, he, hasn't, he will not yet recede completely behind that veil. And Joshua said to the priest, saying as follows, carry the, the um, Ark of the Covenant, and pass before the nation, and they carried the Ark of the Covenant, and they went in front of the nation. This is verse 7. And God said to Joshua, Hayom Today, Achel Gadelcha, I am going to begin making you great, Yisrael, in the eyes of all of Israel. Now, Joshua has already had a significant career of leadership for the before the people. They knew him already. But God is saying, now I'm, they're going to see that you're really the, the guy. You're the leader, you're, and they'll see that you are a great leader, and you will have the opportunity to really prove yourself. Asher Yedon. Because I will do another miracle, and they will know now, Ki kasher Moshe that just like I was with Moses, I am with you as well. So this is very important. God is reassuring Joshua that miracles will still happen. I'm not totally retreating. And I want you to command the Kohanim, the priests, those that carry the Ark of the Covenant, saying as follows, When they come to the edges of the waters of the river Jordan by Yardain to Amodu. I want them to stand in the river. In other words, they, as soon as they get there, they have to go into the water a little and then stop. By Yomer Yoshua Bnei Yisrael and Joshua said to the people of Israel, I'm at verse 9, Go Shuhena, come closer now. I want you to listen to the words of God. Now he's telling them, come close. Before he told them, distance yourself. Now he's telling them, come close. This is that process. There's, there's a closeness, but there's a distance. This is the beginning of separating the people from the lives that they lived beforehand. And Joshua said, This is how you're going to know that there is a living God among you. And that he will... Um, um, uh, it's a hard word to translate, but I see the word dispossess in front of you, at Takana, uh, uh, which I'm going to, I'll use that translation, these seven nations that you're about to encounter, God will get them out of the land and, and put you in their place. 
This is how you're going to know it. Look at the Ark of the Covenant. This is the covenant that we have with the master of all, the, all of the land. That is what is passing before you in the Jordan. So here, what Joshua, there's so much being said here. What is the bezos teduon? This is how you're going to know. Joshua is giving them the lesson here. There is a living God among you who is going to fight with you. And how do you know? You'd think he'd say because he's going to perform this miracle. But he says, because the ark goes before you. And the ark that you're distant from goes before you. In other words, this, the way you're going to know that God is with you is a very different way than it used to. Keep the image of the ark in front of you and remind yourself that this is a symbol that represents that God is with you. He's going in front of you into battle even when you don't see him. God, Joshua is teaching the people there is something new here, there is something different and this is what you need to learn. And now, I want you to take 12 men one person representing each tribe. And this is very important because the last time that we had one person representing each tribe, it ended in disaster, right? It was when they sent the 12 spies, one of which was Joshua, and he was one of the only ones who didn't uh, go along with the bad plan. But the last time 12 men representing the tribes crossed into Israel, it ended up into a big disaster. But Joshua knows now it's a different story. Now the people are with God. The people are using the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of the relationship with God and the guide for where they're going and where they're heading. It's a whole different ballgame. So, and what do you do? As soon as the feet of the priests um, uh, place their place their feet. No, say Aaron Adonai. Those that are carrying the Ark of God, Adon Kol Aretz, the master of the entire world. Again, Joshua uses this language of the master of the entire world to emphasize and remind the people that your God is not is not just the Ark. You're looking at the Ark, right? Idol worshippers look at at arks. Or, um, or statues or whatever and think that that's a representative of something. Joshua is reminding them when you look at this ark, don't think that that ark is somehow inherently uh, powerful. It's what that ark represents. It's, he keeps reminding us that it's the Aron Berit. It's the ark that represents the covenant between God and the people. And, but God is powerful because he's the master of the entire world. He's the creator of all and everything. Remember that that you are not like the other nations. You are not like the people you are about to, to engage in combat, right? You are not like them. You are different because you are, have the Adon Kola Oretz with you, the God of all of the world. When you see that ark in the waters of the Jordan uh, being held by the, by the Kohanim who placed their feet in the water, and I'm telling you now that the waters of the Jordan will split What's going to happen? The water coming from the, they will stop. In other words, not so much they will split, but they will stop. The water that's coming from above, uh, will stand in a big pile. So the water will pile up and stop. The water down below will continue to flow until it's gone and dry up. And it happened that when the uh, people traveled from their tents to pass over the Jordan, 
and the priest and the priests, those that are carrying the 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 um, the ark that represents the covenant, were before the nation. And when the carriers of the ark reached the Jordan, and the feet of the of the priests that carrying the ark were dipped slightly in the edge of the water. This is the harvest season, and during this season, the Jordan River was full on all its sides. It was overflowing banks, it was full. And immediately the water coming down from above stopped stopped as one giant pile of water. Very far away from where they were, uh, somewhere, this, this roughly corresponds to about... Uh, uh, 20 kilometers, I think, based on our modern understanding of where these place names are, may Adam Ha'ir, at the city of Adam, which is north of of the place where they were, Hashem Mitzad Tzorton, the Adam which is near the place of the town of Tzorton. The Hayordim, and those waters that were going down, El Yom Ha'arava, that were going down to the sea of, of, the, of the Arava, um, which is the Yam HaMelech, the Dead Sea, because that's where the Jordan's outlet is, Tamunikrasu. Uh, they just kept going down and ended there in the sea. But the place where they passed was opposite Jericho, which is about 20 kilometers south of the city of Adam, where the water had piled up. And the priests that were carrying the ark of, that represents the covenant of God were standing in dry land. Inside the Jordan, they were standing there smack in the middle. And all of the, uh, the people of Israel passed through on dry land. Until the entire nation completed passing through the Jordan. Um, we are going to um, uh, the 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 um, uh, this is this ends chapter three the the uh, the the the, uh, the way the Jewish um, chapters end the the next verse is split in half and half of it is part of the chapter we just read so I'll do that and it was when the entire nation finished passing the Jordan. That's the end of it. And then, this is the beginning of verse of chapter 4, God said to Joshua as follows. So I just attached that. We'll go over that again when we read the next one. There's a lot of ideas that I introduced. We're, gonna, we're going to um, go deeper into these ideas and show how they, they are part and parcel of the story and the lessons to be learned from this book of Joshua as we proceed through uh, the remaining chapters. Thank you so much for studying together chapter 3. Looking forward to studying chapter 4 together with you.